Jim Britt and Jim Lutz had a vision, and the Change Book series was developed. Welcome to the Change Book Radio Show with your hosts and personal coaches that'll show you how to bankroll your mind. Lawrence Pipkin and Rich Perry. Join Lawrence and Rich weekly as they interview the top co-authors from all over the globe who share their insights into self-empowerment with life-enhancing realizations that will touch every area of your life. We're live every Wednesday on Blog Talk Radio at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Rich Perry here, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Texas himself, Lawrence Pipkin. Lawrence, how are we doing today on this wonderful Wednesday? Doing real well. You know, I lost that Mr. Texas title uh, way back in the 80s, so I'm going to have to find something else for me. (laughs) Oh, man, you've got to up your game. Up your game. I do, I do. (laughs) So... Today, ladies and gentlemen, we have an amazing co-author joining us from Colorado, Boulder Springs, Colorado, and we're going to introduce her in just a second, but let me read a little bio about her. So our guest today is Jana Hoiberg, and her chapter is The Effective Attitude on Altitude. She's a renowned international speaker, workshop facilitator, and author She has personally led thousands of business owners to success and inspired thousands more during her 35-year career. Jenna specializes in creating a path for the next generation family business. Her passion is working with families actively navigating the transition path while still running the business, helping one generation step away and the next generation to take the lead. She's a gifted teacher, stirring presenter, and Jana ignites audiences and teams with her proven strategies to elevate communication, leadership, and team team building. And we're pleased to welcome our friend and fellow co-author, Jana Hoiberg, to the Change Book Radio Show. Jana, how are you doing today? I am doing awesome from beautiful Colorado Springs. Awesome. And so, Jenny, you're in book 11, correct? That is correct. And I know that you have a chapter in the book. It's titled The Effective Attitude on Altitude. And it's actually, would you, you consider it like an excerpt from your full book? Is that, that's correct as well, right? It's, uh, it's like a that short is correct. little... Yeah, that is correct as um, well as I've got a, um, it's an excerpt from a book called The Backpacker's Guide to Business Success. Because every time I go backpacking, I see the correlation between business and backpacking. And it was just, it kept calling to me, just like the mountains. Uh Uh-huh. Well, go ahead for the listeners that haven't had a chance to read your chapter, because I don't even, the, the book 11 just recently came out. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners still haven't had a chance to grab it, whether it's, you know, off the shelf or from you or the other co-authors or just from Amazon. So Janet, go ahead and give us a little taste test of the effective attitude on altitude. Well, as we look at, altitude. I spent many years in Boston area. And in Boston, the um, altitude, you know, we're pretty much about sea level. 
And when I first came to Colorado and moved here, my house is at 6,500 feet elevation, which is higher than the highest spot in New Hampshire, in New England. And the difference there of the amount of oxygen was amazing. So when I tried to go and hike, it's like I was always out of breath. We live here with a little bit less oxygen, just like you do in Austin, Texas, or Boston, that are more far more at sea level. But how does that also show us in our attitude? We have things we need to do. If you go up to the top of a 14er, which is a 14,000-foot mountain, which I climb a lot around here, the amount of oxygen is about 60% less than what you have at sea level. So, but, but how do you go and constantly live in an environment where you don't have as much? Well, that's very much like our business. We go and we make things happen no matter where we're at with the tools and the resources that we have. But the difference is, and our difference in success is the attitude that we have and the attitude that we use for being able to approach the challenges in all the rest of our day-to-day business environments. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking how, in your experience, I know that you've seen a correlation, and I know you mentioned it in your chapter as well. Do you have... Um, like any any numbers, I'm ju- I'm just curious as to like the what it takes for someone with a positive attitude, how much success they can attain in their business versus someone who, like you said, they have that negative attitude. They're that Debbie Downer. There there's someone that always has those excuses that you mentioned in your chapter. And y- you, I know you work with a lot of family businesses. Is that something that you see? And is that something that you help your clients to overcome is though is that attitude barrier of the outlook on how to approach what they're doing? Absolutely. Very seldom will you see a truly successful business where the owners have got a bad attitude on a constant basis and the employees. If you really look at the businesses that are thriving, the difference between one versus the other can be the attitude. So I'll take it back to the recession time frame. I could go and work with two businesses, exact same location, exact same focus, exact same industry. One was failing, one was succeeding. What was the difference? The attitude in which they looked at things. The attitude that of when an obstacle came in their way, did they go and stand in front of the obstacle and cry about the obstacle or did they step back, figure out how to get around it, and make it happen? And applying that to family businesses, it is the same thing. Family businesses just have the dynamic that you're working with your spouse or your kids or your uncles or your aunts or multiple generations that play into that. And we've all been around the family um, table at times and occasionally somebody's got a little bit of a bad attitude about something and the effect that that has at the family dinner table and you apply that to the business and you can see how that just magnifies it 10 times over. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you see as well where they've got a family business and they had it, you know, they, they started that family business for 
years ago, there was a passion of, you know, some ancestor or whatever, some, you know, past generation and just negative attitudes and they bring their family troubles into the business, which then kind of trickles down to the employees and just creates that negative workspace. Is that something that you see in the small business arena? Absolutely. And the original founder of the business often had a vision. And sometimes that vision was they needed a job, okay, and they figured out. But then it became something they became very passionate about and they enjoyed doing. But what happens in the family business as well as regular um, other businesses is there becomes a burnout if they're not running the business in the way they need to. And so they start, the attitude creeps in. And then the family starts picking up that bad attitude and it, it starts affecting the bottom line. It starts affecting customer service. It starts affecting the employees. And then you end up with a spiral down from there. And it is amazing to see how the added, just a, a change of attitude in the business can affect profitability almost instantaneously when they start applying it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, I know I've been asking a few questions, and uh, maybe I'll hand it over to uh, my buddy over there, Lawrence. Do you have anything for Jenna, rather than me hogging uh, all the questions? <laughs> I was like, well, oh, just, there's another guy I over there. Yeah, right. I think it's interesting that um, when, you, when you talk about altitude in reference to attitude and how people look at the same exact situation – and at times, they, their attitude almost creates more of a barrier or more of a problem than really needs to be there. Um, I know a lot of people that they don't even look at things as, as challenges, but simply as the next step. And I know that in your, in your chapter, in, in the excerpt from your book, um, it, it kind of reminded me of something I had read the other day, and it was uh, what it said um, – Good decisions come from experience, and experience comes from bad decisions. Absolutely. But it's, but it's taking that bad decision and then reacting to it in the right way. Is that what you would say? I mean, because we can, we can look at a bad decision and not learn from it and not treat it as experience based upon how we view it from our own internal perspective. Well, a lot of this comes back to the whole fear of failure. And – Nobody likes to fail, although I'll actually change that because I've been running into people lately that actually have a failure goal. In other words, they aren't, they aren't, they think that they are not learning if they are not failing. So I, I take, I take that back. And if any of you have, have children and they're in that 10 months to, you know, one year old range and they're learning how to walk, how many times do they fall down? You know, probably be on count, but they fall, they get up, they fall, they get up, they fall, they get up. Somewhere along the line, we get to this fear of failure and we're afraid of being embarrassed. Maybe it's because our parents laughed at us when we were one and, you know, we carried it with us. But um, that fear of failure then takes us, so we run into an obstacle and it seems insurmountable. And the attitude of that is rather than saying, oh, well, I failed, guess what? I know what not to do next time, and I'm going to do it differently. And taking that in that attitude of going, I've failed one more time, so I am one more step closer to the success that I'm looking for. Mm 
And that just plays into all aspects um, of our life and the attitude and the altitude is where, what is the altitude you want to have in your business? Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, and that's interesting. You said that about failing because I think it was the founder of Spanx, um, Sarah Blakely, I believe her name was. She said when she grew up, her culture with her family was they would sit at the dinner table and their father would ask them, so what did you fail at today? And if they didn't have something that they failed at, he basically let them know they weren't trying hard enough. And so they began to try more and more so that they could fail so that they would have something to talk about. And, it, and you know, and it sounds weird, but it, it is a, a cultural thing among many people that the failure is so bad. We, we don't even reach out. We don't even try to take that next step. Would you, and, and that, have you found that? Because I know that you are very bicultural. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, that whole aspect of being able to um, fail, fail often, frequently, and keep moving on. But let's apply that as well to the family business. None of us, okay, really want to see our kids fail all the time, okay? Our striving is to get A's. Our striving is always for them to do the best that they possibly can. But with that, we don't allow them to fail. So you go and take that to the family business, and the parents often, the current generation, um, they don't want to see the kids fail. So as a result, they try to protect them so much that in the next generation of business, they have to do it different. And we have to allow our kids to fail. And that doesn't mean the business fails, but you've got to make those missteps because guess what? All of us have failed. We do it on a regular basis. But if we have that attitude that allows us and understands that when you go hike a mountain, it is not straight up. You're going from one side to the next. You're going down a little bit. You're going up more. Going down a little bit, you're going up more. Because you could not do a straight trajectory because it, it's just it's too hard and it's not fun. And the, the business correlation there is that if we understand that we've got to have the downs to go appreciate the ups and with every down, even if we go way down, we come back up, we know and our, our body's in better shape. So our businesses are in better shape. Our attitude is in better shape. And that's where we get the growth. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? I know you probably have a theory about this, so I'm going to throw it out there. You know, most, most people who start out um, in business who've never been in business before, they envision themselves starting at point A and ending at point B, and they draw a 45-degree angle from point A to point B, and they don't understand that that learning takes that up and then a fall down, sliding down that slippery slope, and then crawling back up to the next plateau and doing the same thing over and over again, just like you talked about in climbing. What do you think it is that gives us this idea that we have to start at A, and the only other letter is the N, and it's B, and there's that straight line, that vertical almost vertical growth? For a lot of people, and I'm not saying that businesses haven't done that, but very, they're the rarity. For a lot of people, it's just it is our own imagination. And I'll even say in my own business, if you would have asked me when I started my business um, nine years ago that I would have uh, you know, written tube and part of the third, and I'm on the foundation of a fourth book, I would have told you, um, that you've been drinking. 
and that you were crazy because I didn't see that because it wasn't something that was part of it. And, and so part of it is that, and I guess the good news is um, we don't know what the past can bring, but the difference between the businesses that become successful and those who don't are the ones that are trying and only allow between A and B. And they're never going to look at a BB or understanding that the best way to success is skipping B and going AC, you know, um, BZ, and having that creativity of being open to what the opportunities are. Now, we can also, and I talk about this in the full book as well, go off on rabbit trails, which can disfocus us. So there's a balance between there of you don't want to be uh, so disfocus that you're following the next rabbit trail which are all over the place but in the same respect you also have to have that ability to see opportunities and to reach for them right that makes perfect sense and especially i know in one of the parts in your chapter um talked about negotiating and how the dynamics of negotiation are the same it's basically a, a condensed version of of what your business is and being able to focus and not be sidetracked or not lose your focus on what the skyline looks like or how great the view is and things of, of that nature. And so each one of these, each one of these little things when exploded can really describe your business. So even in your daily work, do you see that if people are losing focus in their daily work, they're losing focus overall as well? Absolutely. We have to know what we need to accomplish. The number one pushback I get from, you know, family business owners is that they can, they go into the work in the morning and they, by the time 9 a.m. hits, they everything else is interrupted and they can't get anything done. And in part, that's letting, you're letting everybody else control you rather than you controlling what you want to be able to do. And it is that focus of, where do you want to go? And what does it mean to you? So I often ask the question, what's going to stop you? What will stop you from getting to that um, goal that you want to have? In the chapter in the example, am I, was I going to allow the skyline and the distractions there disfocus me from where uh, my total objective? And no, I wasn't going to let that happen. But that's often what we do because we don't have, have clarity. And sometimes we mm-hmm. we will let things stop us because we really don't want it enough. Right. Right. Can you talk a little more about that? Because I know that uh, Rich and I are always talking about this, and we hear this very often, that people want something, but they really don't want something. They want to want something. So can you speak a little more about that desire and that clarity that creates that focus? Well, I once heard it defined, and I've used it from there, and I don't remember who actually gave me the original um, definition, but being committed to something is being committed when you're no longer committed. So that means going and doing something even when you no longer want to do it. So it's how important. So um, the the no gets in your way because I, I really don't want it because I really didn't have clarity of that goal. I really didn't have the clarity that I want to make it to this top of the mountain. And as I, uh, we have turned back when, you know, um, safety, 
we turned back on climbing a 14er once because there were like three feet of snow in there and it just wasn't practical and we weren't prepared. But past that, there's very little that has ever stopped me from getting to the goal that I really want. Now, I've gotten off course, and I think that's a lot of what happens is when you don't have the clarity of what does the goal mean to you, every time you run into something rough, you stop. Mm-hmm. The, the, um, the, the no and the, the stopping in there means that you just you don't want it and you don't see what the value is or you don't understand what commitment is going to be. So when, you, when you're working with a client and you notice that uh, either their commitment has, has waned because they're, they're in this, this sense of, well, I don't see what that big picture is anymore or I don't see how this has value at anymore. What are some of the things that you offer them to get them back on track? Like you said, you know, sometimes you get off track. What is it that you find will pull somebody back on to that track so that they can see what that commitment really means to them and they can start wanting it again? Uh, sometimes it's, it's if they do not understand or they don't have clear rewards that they get from there, so what is the reward for achieving that goal, okay? In the business sense, is it the improved profitability? Is it more flexibility? Is it bigger um, or more family time, a bigger business? You know, there's, there's financial rewards, but the reality is most of the time those aren't the motivators. So it's digging down to what the true motivators are. Why are you really wanting to do this? And if you can get to the true why, and, you know, Simon Sinek in his um, book, Starting With Why, just did a really great job of helping the, the business owner and the individual just understand, why am I doing this? Because most of the time, it's not for money. We may say it's money, but it's because you want more time with your family, because you want to see this succeed, you want to help. That's why the whole social enterprise um, businesses have become so popular is that people want to help. If you don't have your eye on what your true why is, you're going to get disfocused because it's hard. And that's funny. When you were saying that, I was actually writing, is your why big enough? So that's excellent. That's excellent. Yeah. And is your why truly your why or is it somebody else's? Right. I think that was actually – That's a big thing. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that was actually my next question – and Jenna, you're probably the expert to ask in this regard. Do you see a lot of uh, younger generation business owners that have come into a business? Uh, I'm not talking about they started it, but they're continuing the tradition from a family business. Do you see a lot of them kind of just going through the motions and they, they took on the family business because they felt they were obligated or it was their duty to continue the tradition and they don't really want to do it. So they don't have a clear why they don't have a clear motivator. They just kind of got thrown into it because they grew up knowing this is what I have to do. Is that something that you're seeing or are younger generations more willing to get out, sell the business or just kind of end it all? I'm curious. Well, the statistics show that only 3% of family businesses make it to the fourth generation. 
So okay. that's not just our, our current millennials or the current business owners. This is over the course of, uh, you know, literally um, decades and centuries from that side of things. And a lot of, a lot of that has come from years. You, somebody doesn't have a passion for it. They really just don't like uh, that type of business. Their skill set is different. There's a lot of things that play into it. But in the same respect, I'm working with, um, you know, one fourth-generation family business and a number second- and third-generation family businesses, and they are um, – their why is different than the current generation. And the, so the, the why is different, but their why is very um, focused. And they're doing it for modern reasons, not okay. their old – you know, their parents' reasons and the ones that are really taking over established running businesses, it's hard because it is like, you know, changing um, conductors. Excuse me, I'm not even conductors. Changing wheels on the train while the train is mm-hmm. going down the road because you've got a $100 million business that's going. And it's not like they go out, especially in a family business, and look for who's the best new CEO. You know, it's junior. And junior... Um, whether that's male or female, is coming and stepping into some very big shoes and also inheriting mom and dad and uncle's mistakes. And and they have to go and try and do those fixes as well. But I find the current millennial generation to be awesome to deal with. They are focused. I know that's not what you hear in the press, but they are focused. They know what they want to do. They're trying very hard to learn, and they want to make their mark in society. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, going on that, I'm curious, do, what do you notice as far as, so the older generation is now handing off the business to junior, to the millennials, and I'm sure the millennials are coming in with their own why, and I'm sure they want to bring modern updates, whether it's as simple as social media or following new trends, whatever it is, there's certainly a difference in procedure and protocols from what mom and dad were doing. Do you see some of these former generations gladly handing over the reins and saying, hey, transform it as you see fit? Or are older generations a little bit more reluctant to allow Junior to handle it in their newer and modern, or you know, handle it with a newer and modern perspective? Does that make sense? Absolutely, and the the real honest answer is yes, because you really have both sides of it. You've got some, mm-hmm. and we we talk about baby boomer and Gen Y, and poor Gen X in the middle um, sometimes forget gets forgotten there. So a lot of them are being turned over to Gen Xs as well. But the, in some cases, the current generation, I've got um, one that I'm I've worked with in the past, and the parents will die in the business. They will, you know, not ever totally retire and they're trying to let the new generation and I've worked with them to sort of let the current generation sort of step up from there and there's others that just say you know something I'm ready to go retire here it is let's have a transition plan the transition plan is going to be two years um, but catch me um, on the cruise down the Amazon so you really get both sides of it and Mm -hmm. a lot of it will depend on how much are the current generation stepping up? You know, do they have the ability? What, there's life events that play into that. 
but you really do get both sides of it, but it's still hard. Let's face it, if, if your retirement income was based on your kids doing a good job and keeping the business afloat, that would put some stress on you as well. And I think that's the important thing to understand is these businesses are the current generation's retirement. So they can't just walk away and let them fail because then you've got the entire family that's failing from a financial perspective there. Mm-hmm. Cool. I know, I don't know about you, Lawrence. I know that this, your chapter really spoke to me on a personal level. Uh, the first, the first thing I love your analogy between business and backpacking. Uh, we were talking before we went on air about we had some similarities where you were a youth leader in the Boy Scouts. I was very active in the Boy Scouts myself. So I love the whole analogy from business to backpacking. I think it was uh, very well done. I loved it. And also, too, I really, you're welcome. (laughs) And I really love the theme of your chapter and being that of attitude and how you bring your attitude to business and to life. And the reason is because, uh, not sure if you know this about me, but I live in an area called, uh, it's the Northeastern region of Pennsylvania. And in 2014, Mm -hmm. uh, researchers from Harvard University and the University of British Columbia found that my region was the unhappiest region in America. So I wrote this three-part blog series about it. And within the last like three or four weeks, I've been meeting with a few different coaches and consultants, some inspirational speakers from our area to start implementing, whether it's going to be like a seminar series, a training program. We just want to do something for our region to help uh, boost the attitude and the mindset of our area because it really needs a change. And as beautiful it is, as it is scenic, because, you know, it's at the foothill of the Appalachian Mountains, it's a third or fourth generation coal mining town, and it has that old school mentality. And like I said, uh, the facts don't lie. You know, it is a the mindset in this particular region in my area is very negative. It's very, it's, it's depressing at times. And so when you were writing, when I was reading your chapter, I was like, wow, this is amazing that I'm reading this now because like I said, just three or four weeks ago, I started meeting with this small group of people and this is exactly what we want to implement in our area. So I, I think it was great. I thought your chapter spoke to me personally So I want to thank you for writing it. And it was really perfect timing that uh, I had a chance to read it. I'm sure certainly going to take some of these insights to my, uh, my little study group now for, let's just say, let's play a little game. So say we've got, and I'm, I'm going to take some of these strategies. So I hope you don't mind. Uh, Say you've got a the listeners on the line they're your ideal client you know what are some give me like two or three awesome key points or strategies or tips that you would tell them because i'm certainly going to borrow them and and bring them to my area because our area needs this stuff (laughs) 
Uh, I'll tell you what, if I could fly in, I certainly would, Jana. I certainly would. Um, do you have like a couple quick tips or something that, you know, that I can jot down or that the listeners could hear? Because I'm sure there's tons of listeners that are going through this uh, generational switchover. Okay. So you want two or three? I want to make sure I've got clarity, so I'm answering your question. Two or three points on, on attitude specifically? Sure. Like what, what's something that you do just to help these people to transform their attitude? Like do you, what is it that you say when you're first meeting a client? I'm just curious because I'd love to know how you approach this. You know, I'm sure it's a very touchy subject and I'm sure nobody wants to hear that they've got a crappy attitude at their family business. So, <laughs> well, and, and you know? um, I was gonna, I was gonna say this until you said it's the first thing I say to people because it's not the first thing I say to people, but it is uh-huh. one of the mottos that I have, and that is, um, hell on earth is seeing the person that I could have been. Uh huh. <laughs> okay. So with that, if I if I go in and say, and I, it's sort of like you know, we're in the Olympic times and if uh, Michael Phelps had decided that, you know, he no longer wanted to do it and he has a bad attitude and he's not as good as everybody else and as a result didn't go to the 2016 Rio Olympics, he would be down a couple of gold medals. Mm-hmm. And what would that do? And so so to me it's very much that, um, so how is your bad attitude affecting where you are going to go and how is that affecting your future so that that becomes one so hell on earth is seeing the person i could have been and i heard that from somebody and i don't know um, who actually coined it but you know i'll i'll take it until someone tells me that um that was originally their their quote back in the 1800s <laughs> <laughs> um, the, right right the the um the second is and this this applies to families and family businesses is do you want to break the chain and the cycle of attitude in your business and therefore in your family what do you what do you want for your kids and your grandkids and your attitude both positive and negative is very um contagious mm-hmm. And if you, if, if you can work very specifically on understanding is your attitude, you can start making a difference. And if you don't want to make a difference in your life, make a difference in your kids. And the, um, the, the third one really is very much geared toward the impact um, that you want to have on the um, on your own life. What are the things that you can do that you have control over? You know, it's the old thing: we don't have control over death, we don't have control over taxes. But mm-hmm. how can I serve somebody else, and how can that actually impact my own attitude? Wonderful. Thank you so much. And let's let's future pace a little bit. You said you're working. We're going to switch gears just for a moment to get out of the strategies time. Uh, you're working on a fourth book. Is that, you said that 
earlier, right? Yeah, I've, I've, got, I've, got the, I've got the foundation um, in my head, and I've um, this is um, working with a fourth-generation um, family business that is in the first generation um, passed to the second generation on an unplanned event in that he died. The second mm-hmm. generation of the business um, ran the business for many years and was very delayed in passing it to the third generation. And the third generation didn't want to have happen to him what um, his dad did to him. And so um, a um, at the time, 28-year-old took over uh, a fairly large, substantial um, business. And looking at the impact of how each generation passes the business on and so the challenges, you're not prepared, somebody dies. What happens to the business or what are the effects? You hang on too long. How does that impact the business? You know, you decide to give it to a 28-year-old. What's the impact to, to the business? And it's going to be around that, and there's multiple stories, and it's, it's quite an interesting uh, uh, scenario to play in. And so I'm just um, in the process of trying to find um, an agent that wants to pick it up. And I've got a couple of people interested and then we're going to run with it. Awesome. And real quick, uh, I have a question and it kind of goes back to what you were saying in your experience. Do you see a lot of these family owned businesses where they pass it down to the generations? Do the younger generations come up in the business from your experience do they come up in the business you know say it's a restaurant do they start out as being the dishwasher and you know learning all the areas of the business or are some businesses you know just one day junior just takes over not having a clue i i mean i guess maybe it's both sides of the coin like you said earlier but or what, what's your what's your what's your take on that most of the time I see that the the next generation has been involved in the business, okay? So if it is a remodeling business, you know, they've been doing um, things. If it's a car business, they've, you know, um, been on the showroom floor. If it's an electrical, you know, electrician, you know, they've done some of those things. So really across, across the board, most of the next generation has been there somewhat involved in the product side of it. But the mm-hmm. product side is very different than the running of the business. And so the challenge for them is to step up into that visionary um, and to see where the business can go or understanding financials or understanding how to manage the team and do that better. That's where the challenge comes. But I would say most of them do. And my number one piece of advice to um, family business owners that have got kids that are in the, their 20s, is go get them to work someplace else. Do not let them, you know, find 18, 19, 20. They can work to earn some money. But once they've gotten out someone on their own, is go make them work someplace else. They will be better and they'll have more credibility when they come back into the business than, any, um, than anything else that you could ever do for that next generation. Oh, I, I would not have thought about that, but I guess, yeah, that's absolutely right because – do you see like some of the other employees, like when Junior's about to take over, they, do you see employees or, you know, people involved that maybe are a little jaded or they resent the well, fact that, is, is that why? 
Well, part of it is what um, if they're even if they're 32 or 35 and taking it over, they've been there five years. Well, what do you know? You're not, you know, you don't know about this. You're just, the only reason you're getting this is because your name's on the building. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that play with it. Not to mention when the next generation is coming in, and this is male or female, if they've never worked anyplace else, they don't have that perspective of having somebody who's a boss over them, who's challenged them, who has they had to learn to work with people who aren't family members and, and talking with them and how to be able to get through and to build relationships and all of those pieces that those of us who have worked in the corporate atmosphere figure out, guess what? Life isn't fair. And you don't ever get everything handed to you when you learn different management styles and it just brings credibility and your own experience. It's sort of like, an MBA program without going to school because you're doing it on the job. Mm-hmm. That's great. Awesome advice. Lawrence, did you have anything else for Jen? I think I've been asking a whole lot of questions and you've been silent over there. I'm sure you've got something. Well, it's because, you know, I always take notes. So, <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence is my secretary. So, <laughs> Well, no, I'm, I'm writing notes so that my fourth generation of the empire that I build will have a set of uh, guidelines to follow. Guidelines. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> or, or you could just go have them pick up um, my first book, which is called The Family Business, How to Be in Business with People You Love Without Hating Them. There you go. I love that. You know what? And I, I am actually going to do that, uh, not because I have a business, but because when I, when I started reading your excerpt, your chapter, I was like, ah, where is this going? Is this just some backpacker trying to tell me a story about backpacking? And then I was like, this is really good stuff. And I chastised myself for, for being that way. And I really, really enjoy the way that you put things together and the way that you, you separate them out and lay them on the trail so that when you pull back from that trail, you can actually see the progress that you've made, whether it be up, down, sideways, whatever. And so um, I'm already planning on picking up your books because I think that uh, anybody wants a good idea on how to gain that clarity and focus on, on, on the big picture of things. I think that this is a, just a perfect place to start. So I thought that it was phenomenal. I didn't totally enjoyed listening to you today. So. Well, thank you that's, very much. I appreciate I it. It's, it's been, it's <laughs> been um, fun talking with you guys, and it, it is something I am passionate about, and I'm glad I got a chance to write the book because I get on the trail going, oh, i got to add this to the book. Oh, i got to add this to the book. Now I can go and <laughs> hike peacefully and construct the next thing I'm going to do, and I've you know taken that off my plate and put it on something else and just can go develop because backcountry is just a way to clear your mind of many things. I, I think that's that's perfect. You know, it's it's the whole thing about getting it down so that you can move on. Yes. I think is is the thing that a lot of people don't do and it's you know, it keeps us wondering what if, you know, the the quote that you said about, you know, hell being the meeting the person that you could have become. And I think a lot of that is from just not, you know, quit quit making it an idea and make it a reality, whether that reality is the end game that you wanted or not, at least it's done and you can move on to bigger, better things. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Well, thank I, you. Wonderful. I agree. Well, thank you guys both. It's been a lot of fun and I um, greatly appreciate the opportunity to um, share with you. 
I think we could probably talk for another couple of hours, but my guess is listeners would say enough is enough. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I would have so, to agree. <laughs> yeah, Jana, once again, thank you so much for being on the Changebook Radio Show. And uh, please keep Lawrence and, and uh, me in the know of your next book and and everything that you're and you're do, that you're doing. So thank you very much for being on the show today and enjoy the rest of your Wednesday out there in uh, Colorado Springs. Thank you. Boulder Springs. I sure Boulder will. You, <laughs> Colorado Springs. You were right. Colorado oh, okay. Springs. <laughs> I was right the first time. All right. Thank you so much, Jana. All right. Well, you guys have awesome day, uh, days as well. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick 20-second break, and we'll be back with the show wrap-up. This is Angie Taylor from AttractingWellness.com. Are you wanting to make changes in your life and you don't know where to begin? Start by listening to the Change Book Series radio show, where you'll hear from each of the amazing co-authors as they share inspiring tips that guide you to live a better life today. All right, and we're back with the Change Book Radio Show. Our guest today was Jana Hoiberg from Colorado Springs, and her chapter was The Effective Attitude on Altitude Found in the Change Book 11. I'm feeling pretty good about today's radio show. What about you, Lawrence? Oh, definitely, definitely. All right, and just a reminder, I know we say this every week, if you Listeners want to connect with Jana or Jim Britt, or Jim Lutz or Lawrence, myself, or, you know, any of the other co-authors in the series, go ahead and go up to your Facebook, your search toolbar up there, put in the change book. It's a free public group. You'll be added automatically. Well, maybe not automatically, but you'll be added and uh, it'll be a... <laughs> I, I don't know how these things work, but I, I know they've got someone that presses that presses the accept button quite often. So um, I can Is assume that it, it it might be. Yeah. We'll have you got a phone sure call over there, buddy. So that, yeah, apologize for that. <laughs> so anyway, go ahead and uh, join our public Facebook group on Facebook. Absolutely free. You'll have a chance to connect with Jim Britt, Jim Lutz, the Change Book Series co-founders, and all the co-authors from around the globe. It's free, and it's a great experience to, or a great opportunity, I should say, to connect with them, learn from them, see what they're doing, find out what seminars are in your area, what books are coming out, what programs, how you can, you know, learn from them directly, be mentored, and things of that nature. So go ahead and join the group. And, um, and as always, if you feel the, feel the urge and we're hoping that you do, go ahead and click on over to uh, – now I'm getting a phone call. Go ahead on over to <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Go ahead over to iTunes and give us a rating and review, a star rating that you feel we deserve and a written review telling us how great the show is and, you know, let the world know that you stand around and support the change book and all the co-authors from the entire book series. 
Lawrence, do you have anything else before we get on out of here? Uh, well, you know, the reason that, uh, that we might not be getting ratings and reviews is we're asking them to rate and review us, and that could be a bad thing. So go ahead and rate and review the wonderful, amazing, talented speakers and co-authors that, that we have on the show because they have some amazing stuff. You know, it's also a good place to pick up uh, on some of the archive stuff. So you can listen yeah. to some of the stuff from the past, which is just amazing. So if you've missed anything or you missed somebody, uh, right now we've already done three co-authors in book 11, which isn't even out yet. So, um, you know, once you get that and you have questions, you know, go back and listen again. Um, see the amazing or listen to the amazing stuff that uh, these folks have to say. And that's all I got, Rich. For sure. So once again, thank you everybody for tuning in to the Change Book Radio Show. We're live every Wednesday at 1.30 Eastern Time. So on behalf of Lawrence Pipkin, myself, Rich Perry, Jim Britt, Jim Lutz, all the co-authors from around the globe, want to thank you all for listening to the Change Book Radio Show. We'll see you soon. Remember to connect with us on Facebook or go to our direct website, vortexmastermind.com. And say hello, and we'll even share a gift with you if you enjoy gifts, and I know you do. So once again, on behalf of Lawrence Pipkin and myself, Rich Perry, thank you very much, and be excellent. Bye-bye.